This is Trey Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this teaching. I pray that it empowers you, encourages you, and motivates you to know God and to be who He's created you to be. Are you ready to get into God's Word? And, uh, next, however many minutes we're together, I'm going to ask you to learn fast, okay? <laughs> we got... Uh, we're heading into some interesting times, of course, and it's nothing new. It's been interesting for the past couple of years, hasn't it? But I want us to look at what the number 2020 represents. And so if you have your phone or iPad or just pen and paper, you're taking notes. 20 represents open hand, giving freely, provision, and completeness. I want to say that again. Open hand, giving freely, provision, and completeness. The number 22 symbolizes disorder, chaos, and destruction. Well, that's hope filling, isn't it? <laughs> but listen, listen, listen to what God is saying in this. One of our spiritual fathers, uh, Jerry Savell, the Lord told him, he said, in the midst of disorder and chaos, I will open my hand and give freely to those who aren't shaken by it. We will experience supernatural, unusual, extraordinary provision in the midst of chaos. I want to read that again. In the midst of disorder and chaos, I'll open my hand and give freely to those who aren't shaken by it. We will experience supernatural, unusual, extraordinary provision in the midst of chaos. Now, this is before I even knew what Dr. Savell, the Lord was telling him. The, the end of October 1st, November, the Lord just kept speaking to my spirit man and he kept saying, triumph is coming. Triumph is coming. Say it, triumph is coming. So by faith, not only is triumph coming, triumph is ours. But before God does anything, he always prepares his people. So in the middle of chaos, disorder, destruction in this world... God's people are designed to live in triumph. Triumph is mine. Say it, triumph is mine. I have triumph. Now, what does that look like? So when I hear things like that, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay the foundation, uh, just sow some seed on, on triumph, and then we're going to get over into developing a, di a vision for triumph. So, so I ask, all right, what does that look like? And I want you to picture, say, if God is saying we have triumph, what does triumph look like spiritually? What does triumph look like physically? What does triumph look like relationally? What does triumph look like financially? What does triumph look like in the area of our work? So what does it look like for you when God is saying triumph, triumph is coming, triumph is ours, we are triumphant. What does that look like for you? Because according to your faith, be it done unto you. According to my faith, be it done unto me. Triumph is coming. Triumph is mine. Triumph is ours. What is God saying about his people in the middle of chaos, disorder, and destruction? That we walk in triumph. None of this catches God by surprise. And we're not, Jesus isn't going to come back for some of the body of Christ laying down on the mat with blood running out our nose, getting our tail kicked. No, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a triumphant church a glorious bride, people walking in victory, walking in the power of God. We do go to Victory Church here, right? Triumph is mine. Say it. 
Now listen to the definition of triumph. <clears throat> triumph means a, pro a procession celebrating the return of the victorious general and his army. The act or fact of being victorious, victory, success, achievement, exultation, or joy over a victory, achievement, public spectacle, or celebration. I want to read it again. Triumph, a procession celebrating the return of a victorious general and his army. Who is our victorious general? Jesus. Who is his army? We are. A victorious general. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus who is our victorious general. Listen to what he did. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Triumphing over them in it. Our general disarmed principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, wickedness in heavenly places. He disarmed, triumphing over them in it, in the cross, in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He triumphed. If he triumphs, we triumph. Our general, our victorious general and his army triumph is a procession celebrating the return of a victorious general. Jesus has already gained the victory for you and I and his army. So the victory that Jesus walks in is the same victory we walk in. When he disarmed principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, wickedness and heavenly places, when he defeated them, you and I defeated them in Christ Jesus. When he was in hell, he said, God said, that is enough. He raised Jesus, gave him the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And when Jesus rose victoriously, he gave us the name. He gave us dominion and authority. He gave us the power of his blood. He gave us his word. So the same victory that Jesus was walking in is the same victory you and I are supposed to walk in. The same way he triumphed is the same way we are to triumph. Say, triumph is mine. So when I'm saying triumph is mine, I want you to begin to let yourself see what it looks like for you to triumph in your relationships, you to triumph physically, you to triumph in every area of life, not just a little bit of triumph, wholeness, completeness, fullness, triumph is mine. Say it. Triumph is mine. Triumph is mine. He is our general and we're in the army. Second Timothy chapter two, verses three through four. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So Jesus is our victorious general, and we are his army. Now listen to what Paul was writing here. He says, you, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier. As a good soldier. How many military people do we have in here, men and women, that you've served our country in some form or fashion here. Can we give them a hand clap? What an honor. What a privilege. Thank you so much for everything you've done. Now, I want us to learn from our friends that are here. When he says a good soldier, you think about when it, when it uses the word in the Greek language that he enlisted them, they knew, uh, Paul knew what, what, that the, the whole community would understand what he was talking about because they had a military mindset. See, when they came into the Roman uh, army, they were trained to win. 
They didn't think defeat. They didn't think lose. And so they had recruiters that would go out and they would go into certain territory and they would, they would keep their eye on men and women that were, I don't know about women, men at that time that were, that were wired differently. They thought differently. They trained differently. They behaved differently. They were a good soldier. Say a good soldier. And the recruiter would go and he would, he would point them out and he would invite them and the family would stop and celebrate because somebody was enlisted into the army. See, we've lost the excitement of what a privilege it is to be in the family of God. It is a privilege that we're no longer going to hell, but we know we're going to heaven. It is a privilege that we have the name that is above every name. It is a privilege that his mercy is new every day. It is a privilege that we have the armor of almighty God. And when God hands us his armor, the armor of who? God, God's armor, not somebody, God's armor, he designed it for you, for you to win. He designed the armor for you, for you to win. He designed the sword that fit your hand, the shield that's, that suited your calling and assignment, and he expects us to win with what he's given us. And it says, when they enlisted this soldier into the army, there was a privilege and it was an honor. And he says, now I need you to think like a good soldier. A good soldier doesn't think about getting their tail kicked. They think about winning. A good soldier isn't seeing what I can barely get by with and still live in victory. How we do sometimes, we want to get saved, barely come into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, but still live like hell. I want to just make sure that I'm not going to go to hell, but I still want to live that way. He says, uh-uh, it's time for you to think like a good soldier. A good soldier thinks, how can I please the one who enlisted me? How can I receive my assignment? And I'm going to leave it all on the field. I don't care what kind of fire I face. I don't care how intense the attack gets. I'm not backing up. I'm not coming back until I gain the victory because I'm designed to win. Paul is saying, it's time for you and I to think like a good soldier. How would a good soldier think about his family? How would a good soldier think about his money? You're the good soldier. How would a, a good soldier think about his assignment? That's your assignment. How would a good soldier think about triumph? They went to bed thinking triumph. They got up thinking triumph. And Paul is saying for you and I to think like good soldiers. Say it, triumph is mine. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 in the Amplified. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in defeat. No, no, that's, that's making sure you're paying attention. That's not what he said. But thanks be to God who, who in Christ always leads us in what? In triumph as trophies of Christ's victory and through us spreads and makes evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which exhales unto God, discernible alike among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I want to read it again. But thanks be to God who in Christ always, always leads us in triumph as trophies of Christ's victory. Triumph is ours. Say it. Triumph is mine. He always leads us in triumph. When you're facing something at work, he always leads us in triumph. When we're facing something in our family, he always leads us to triumph. When we're facing something physically in our body, he always does what? Leads us to triumph. As, as trophies of Christ's victory, you think about a trophy. A trophy isn't given until the end of the process. 
See, a trophy isn't won at the event. A trophy is won by what you do every single day. A trophy is won in the dark when everybody else is sleeping, but you're giving it all you have. A trophy is won when you're renewing your mind, but everybody else is listening to CNN. A trophy is won when you're praising, when you don't feel like praising. A trophy is won when you keep giving and you don't know how the bills are going to get paid. A trophy is won in the quiet time, when nobody's around, when nobody's cheering you on. The trophy is won then. You just step onto the platform after you already have the victory. And he says, God, always, always, not sometimes, always. What does that look like for you? Always leads us to triumph. He says, always. Say it, always. Always. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. It says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, making us conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be firm, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always being superior, excelling, doing more than enough in the service of the Lord, knowing and being continually aware that your labor in the Lord is not futile, it is never wasted or to no purpose. Notice verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory, who gives us the victory. This word victory is a, is a Greek word, nikos, and it also means to triumph. It also means to conquer. It means to triumph. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, who gives us the triumph. Thanks be to God who gives us what? Triumph. Who gives us the victory, making us conquerors. He says, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? In other words, He's letting death know. Paul, listen to this, Paul connected to the triumph before he ever experienced the triumph. We've got to connect to the victory before we ever experience the victory. We've got to go there in our mind to begin to think triumph, to believe triumph, begin to talk triumph, begin to expect triumph before the chaos and destruction ever intensifies. So when we step in the middle of it, we already have the triumph in Christ Jesus. That's why Romans chapter 10 says, how can they hear unless a preacher is sent? In Isaiah 42 through 45, it says, I'm looking for a prophet among the nations who has the guts to say what I'm saying and has an ear to hear what I'm saying. Well, I've got the guts to hear what he's saying. and I've got the guts to say what he's saying. And God is saying triumph is ours. You said under a pastor has the guts to tell the uncompromising truth of the word of God. You should honor that. You should worship God for that. You should rejoice because not every church is created equal. Just because it has the name church on the top of the building doesn't mean God considers it his church. That's a totally different message. Well, let's keep going. I don't want to sidetrack. He says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Say it. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory, making us conquerors. Then he goes on to say, so before I go on, know that if you're born again, child of God, death does not have victory over you. You have victory over death. Whenever you you fulfill your assignment, you've lived long and strong and you just close your eyes here and you wake up there. You just transition. You have the victory. You have the victory. So if we have the victory over Satan and every demonic stronghold that he has, every demonic power that he has, if we have the victory and we do have the victory, say, I do have the victory. 
then we should be thinking like we have the victory, believing like we have the victory, talking like we have the victory, expecting the victory. But thanks be to God. He says, because you've got triumph, because you've got victory, that word triumph also means achievement. It means success. The, the words triumph, victory, success, prosperity, all of them are in the same family. And he says, because you have this, he says, therefore, when you see therefore in the Bible, you should always see what it's there for. He says, therefore, because you have the victory, you are triumphant. My beloved brethren, be firm, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always being superior, always excelling, always doing more than enough, always in the service of the Lord, knowing and being continually aware that your labor in the Lord is not futile, is never wasted or to no purpose, who gives us the victory, making us conquerors. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 37. I got to keep moving here just for time's sake because there's a certain place we're getting to. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, he says, Yet in all these things, so you can put it in 22, chaos, disorder, destruction, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yet in all these things, the, all these things Paul was talking about was, he said, in all these things I've discovered. When my ship was breaking apart in the middle of the ocean, I discovered in all these things I'm more than a conqueror. Whenever I was beaten and left for dead, I discovered something. Yet in all these things, I'm more than a conqueror. Whenever I reached down to build the fire and the snake bit my hand, Paul said, I discovered yet in all these things, yet I'm more than a conqueror. Amen. Listen to what more than a conqueror means in the Greek. More than is the word hooper, and it means over, above, beyond, greater, superior, higher, better, first rate, first class, top notch. That's you. Say, that's me. Conqueror means overcomer, champion, victor, master, triumphant. So what was Paul saying? In all these things, the Holy Spirit is wanting you and I to see ourselves in the middle of chaos, in the middle of destruction, regardless of who's in the White House, the outhouse, and any other houses there are. Yet in all these things... This is the way I see you. You're top notch. You're first rate. You're an overcomer. You're a champion. You're triumphant. You're designed to master. You're designed to win. But thanks be unto God who always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, you're top notch. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're first rate. Psalms 47 verse 1 in the New King James Version. He says, now clap your hands, all you people, Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands. Now, why would you clap your hands? Because most of the time you clap your hands when you're applauding somebody. Most of the time you clap your hands whenever somebody's performed something. Most of the time you're clapping your hands. And this is what triumph done. He says, oh, you people clap your hands. Why? Because Jesus already gave us the victory. Clap your hands. Why? Because he already disarmed all the principalities and powers. Why are you clapping your hands? Because my general has the victory and I have the victory. So I'm going to clap my hands in advance and I'm going to shout with the voice of triumph. I'm going to shout with the voice of victory. 
There's times that you got to back off and you've got to let your body know who wins. There's times you've got to back off and you've got to speak to your finances and you've got to let your bank account knows what it is created to be and that is overflowing and abundant. There's times that even when it doesn't look like you're victorious, you've got to talk like you're victorious, think like you're victorious, believe like you're victorious, shout like you're victorious. See, a voice of triumph comes from within. The voice of triumph is a voice of victory. The voice of triumph is the voice of faith. Faith doesn't whine. Faith doesn't complain. Faith doesn't gripe. Faith doesn't run and scream. Oh my God, I don't know what we're going to do. No, no. We clap our hands and we begin to shout because we know he always causes us to triumph. Now, now, in order to walk in triumph, we've got we've to have the vision of triumph. That's what I, I want us to get into just for the next few minutes here. How, how do I develop a vision of triumph? Because maybe you have a, division, a, a vision of defeat. Maybe you have a vision of suffering. Maybe, maybe the enemy has spoken lies to you for so long. The vision of yourself is you're broken, you're addicted, you're, you're hooked, you're, 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 you're oppressed, you're, you're held in shackles. But that isn't the way God sees you. That isn't what G Jesus died to set you and I free. He was resurrected to set you and I free. So how do I get a vision of triumph? Because I've got to see triumph to experience triumph. Proverbs 29, verse 18, a vision of triumph. Remember, triumph is mine. Say it, triumph is mine. What does that look like to you? Proverbs 29, 18, and where there's no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. But he who keeps the law of God, who includes, which includes that of man, blessed, happy, fortunate, and enviable is he. In the message translation, it says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Amen. I want to read the message translation again. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Say it, I'm most blessed. Triumph is mine. See, God wants us the redemptive revelation. Now, redemptive revelation, picture the word redeem. D means to purchase. The prefix re, re in front of any word, brings it back to the original. And God is wanting you and I to see, remember, vision of triumph, wanting us to see what Jesus paid, bought us for, and what he brought us back to when we reconnected with God. What did he redeem us from, but what did he redeem us to? See, we've got to see where we've come from. We were delivered from the power of darkness, and now we're brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We've got to see that. You, you once were lost, but now you're found. You've got to see that. You were once unrighteous, but now you're righteous. You've got to see yourself standing in the presence of Almighty God with your shoulders back and head held high, regardless of your past, regardless what you snorted, regardless what you smoked, regardless of how many other relationships you have, regardless of whatever it is, you've got to see 
he separated your sin as far as the east is from the, the west. You've got to see the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. You've got to see that you belong in right standing with God without a sense of fear, guilt, condemnation, inferiority. You belong in the presence of Almighty God, but you'll never pray like you belong there until you can see yourself Amen. righteous. So how do you see? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. It says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How, how do you look at things that you can't see? Everybody just close their eyes for a moment. And I want all of us to picture a park. And there's two kids swinging at the park. One has a red sweater. One has a blue sweater. And they're just swinging. And their swing gets higher and higher and higher. And then both of them jump out at the same time. All right, you can look up here. That's the end of my story. <laughs> Why did I do that? How do you see what you can't see? Did you notice when you weren't looking through your eyeballs, you could still see? You could see us at the park. And you could see the two kids on the swing set. You could see the red sweater, the blue sweater, right? How could you, how could you see? Paul is saying, okay, it's very important that the things that we see with our natural eyes, they're temporary. They're fleeting. They're passing. He says, but the things that are not seen with our physical eyes, see, they're spiritual seen and physical seen. And in order to experience the physical triumph, I've got to see spiritual triumph. In order to experience triumph in the natural, I've got to see triumph without looking through my eyeballs, but I see with my heart. And words, you know this, the words paint pictures. So when we hear the word of triumph, it begins to paint a picture in our heart so our faith can produce what we're seeing. But if I don't ever see triumph, my faith can never produce triumph. If I don't ever see victory, my faith can never produce victory. If I don't ever see righteousness, my faith will never produce righteousness. If I don't ever see the grace of God, if I don't ever see the power of the blood, if I don't ever see the mercy of God, if I don't ever see it, then my faith will never produce it. See, we can come to church for 30 years and read the Bible like a novel. But if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to dip into it and begin to help us see it, because when you see it, it changes your life. When you see, you don't have to be bound up anymore. When you see that you don't have to be broke anymore. When you see that you don't have to be sick anymore. When you can see that God has redeemed you from the curse. When you see that you've been given the name that is above every name. When you can see it, it changes your life. But if you can't see it, you'll never experience it. 
You might know it, but you don't live in it. And God is saying, I want you to have a vision of triumph. Say it, triumph is mine. Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 and 16, and you see how God worked with Abraham through vision. Genesis 13, verses 14 through 16, And the Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. Then your descendants also could be numbered. Notice how he said, I want you to, I want you to see. I want you to look. I want you to, and he goes on and he tells Abraham, now, now I want you to picture this because there's land. He says, as far as you can look, north, south, east, west. Then after he told him to see it, he says, now I want you to walk through it. He said, in every place the sole of your foot touches is yours. But see, he just didn't leave it with just seeing. He said he wanted him to move now. See, the purpose of vision is you and I are designed to go where we see. So God speaks to us like a while ago I was speaking to you and you were hearing with your ears and the words were painting picture. When we hear the word of God, it paints a picture. Why am I closing my eyes? Because you've got to learn to not be moved by what you see out here, but be moved by what you see in here. What you see in here has to be stronger than what you see out here because what you see out here will try to talk you out of what God places in here. That's why when we hear faith comes by hearing, we hear the word and the Holy Spirit paints a picture and we can see it. And now we're not going to perish because we can see it. We connect our faith to it. And like Abraham, God says, now that you see it, now move. And then whenever he would keep moving, he would keep seeing. As soon as he stopped, he would quit seeing. Kind of like in a, in a headlight of your car. You can sit out in the parking lot, it gets dark, and you can say, well, I sure want to go, go down there to the church. But I just, I can't see past my headlights. I just, man, I sure would like to go to church. And you could sit there until you were 120 years old and go nowhere. Why? Because you didn't go as far as you could see. Because if you'll keep moving as far as you can see, God will always show us more. So he told Abraham, I want you to see. I want you to go. I want you to, 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 to let it run. Let your eyes go there. But what you can see, then move. What you can see, then move. And when you get there, and you're, you're going to see lot, you're going to see farther. You're going to see wider. You're going to see bigger. But you got to move with what you see. Because if you don't move with what you see, you'll never see more. God is saying triumph is yours in your family. Triumph is yours in your business. Triumph is yours in your physical body. Triumph is ours. Say it, triumph is mine. Then he says, Abraham, I, I need you to go outside. And I want you to look at the dust. He's like, if you can count all the grains of dust, so many kids you're going to have. Why? Because he's trying to get him to see. Because if he knew, if he looked at his 99-year-old body, if he looked at his 90-year-old wife, if he looked at what he didn't have, he would never experience what God had for him. So God was wanting him to see. How could God get him to see in here? By God's word. Genesis 15, 
verses 1 through 6, verses 1, 4 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, notice the word of the Lord came to Abram, and what did the word create? Vision. Vision, see. Saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So here the Lord goes again. He's talking to him, trying to get him to see. And then he takes him outside and says, if you can count the stars, that's as many descendants as you're going to have. Why? Getting him to see. And as soon as Abram saw what God was saying, he chose to believe and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So God's word came. He saw and then he believed. For you and I, his word is coming. Triumph is ours. It paints a picture. What does it look like? Go as far as you can see. See, that's what vision is. Vision is, is you looking. At what, is, what do you look like fulfilling your purpose? One of the greatest things we can get while we're on this earth is knowing our purpose. Isaiah 45, verses 9 through 13. You can look at it in your own time, but it says, does the creation come to the creator and say, this is what I'm going to do. And we would say, well, of course not. But that's a lot of times what we do, right? We, we tell him what we're going to do instead of going to the one who knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. Going to the one who knew us before we were birthed, who wired us and designed us and created us. And he says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. That plans to give you a hope and a future and to prosper you and not of evil. One of the greatest things you can get on the inside of you is your purpose because purpose never changes. Proverbs 19, 21, it says the purpose of God remains forever. I want you to picture before you were born, God placed purpose on the inside of you and through all of your days forever, forever, say it forever, forever purpose is in you, forever purpose with every breath that you breathe, purpose is inside of you, purpose is on you, you are wired for purpose, you are designed for purpose, purpose never changes, but whether you discover it or not is up to you, not up to God. But see, vision, purpose never changes, say it never changes. But vision is what it looks like for you to accomplish your purpose at this stage in your life. Purpose can change. Purpose never changes. Vision can change. So what it looked like in my 20s was different. What it looks like in my 30s, what it looked like in my 40s, what it's going to look like in my 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. But purpose never changes, but what it looks like can change. That's why I got to keep seeing, go as far as I can, and keep seeing, go as far as I can, and keep seeing... We'll never outsee God. There'll always be more. And God is saying, in order for us to experience triumph, we've got to see triumph. In order for us to, to walk in triumph, we've got, to, we've got to see triumph. We've got to have a vision of triumph. See, Abraham had a vision of triumph. And his faith produced what he saw. And because, I mean, think of this. I'll, I'll read this one scripture to you. Hebrews eleven twenty. Talking about Isaac, with the eyes of faith, Isaac, looking far into the future, invoked blessings upon Jacob and Esau. Isaac, with the eyes of faith. What do you do with your eyes? 
You see. With the eyes of faith, where did he learn how to see? Far into the future from his dad, Abraham. Abraham saw the land. And then Abraham saw the stars. And then whenever the promised child was born, Isaac, here he is honoring God, worshiping God. And God tells him, I want you to sacrifice your son. So here, dad and Abraham and Isaac, they're walking up the hill. And Isaac says, hey, dad. He says, yeah, son. He says, I, I see the knife. I see the fire. I see the wood. But where's the sacrifice? Abraham looked at him and said, son, God will provide. And they kept stepping because Abraham didn't know how everything was going to turn out, but he kept going as far as he could see. And as he was going as far as he could see, and I want you to picture this, God will provide Jehovah Jireh, the God who provided Abraham was going up the mountain until God says, there's the mountain. But see, he didn't see the mountain when he first started off way over here. He just knew God told him to go. So he went as far as he could see. Say it, go as far as you can see. He went as far as he could see. And whenever he got there and he saw it, God said, there it is. He said, there it is right there. Then they start up the mountain and he's seeing it. And he tells his son, God will provide. They get up there. They make the altar. He ties Isaac up, puts him down on the altar. Abraham raises his hand and the angel stops him. And he says, now I know you'll do whatever I tell you to do. And he looks over and he sees the ram caught in the bush. He gets the ram, unties Isaac. Isaac, with the eyes of faith, he, he, knew, he learned something from his dad. Abraham would see it, and he'd go as far as he could see. He would see it, and then go as far as he could see. What's the key? Because a lot of times we want to see everything, but we're not willing to just take the step, go as far as you can see. To experience triumph, I've got a vision of triumph. Now, what if Abraham would have stopped going as far as he could see? You, you picture, picture God will provide. Picture the ram that was provided before the foundations of the earth on this side of the mountain. Abraham and Isaac are on this side of the mountain. And as long as Abraham could see it and he would step, Fluffy would think, oh, I must need to go right. And he'd go right and he'd eat a little bit of grass over here. Abraham would see it and he'd kept stepping and then Fluffy would take a left. And Fluffy would keep going up the mountain. As Abraham went, so did Fluffy. As Abraham went, so did Fluffy. As Abraham went, so did Fluffy. Till they got to the divine appointment of God and he looked over there because he went as far as he could see, he experienced what he saw in here. And the Bible says he even saw Isaac raised up from the dead even while he was committing the act. The power of vision is life-changing. To experience triumph we got to see triumph. To experience triumph, we got to what? Abraham had vision. Isaac had vision. Stay with me here. Think of Joseph. Joseph, the vision as a 17-year-old boy. We're getting ready to be done. 17-year-old boy has a vision. Him and his brothers are out there and they're binding sheaves together. And in this dream, all the other sheaves, he, he his sheaf raises up and all the other sheaves bow down. And then he has a dream the next day. And he said, all 11 stars are worshiping me. And even the sun and the moon, they're going to bow down to me also. And dad says, are you kidding me? You, me and mom are going to bow down to you also. But see, because of what he saw, God spoke to him to create a vision. And that vision sustained him when his brother sold him into slavery. And whenever he went to Potiphar, the right hand, and he was prospering, increasing, Potiphar's wife accused him of, of adultery. That vision sustained him. When he got thrown into prison, the vision sustained him all the way to the right hand of Pharaoh until the vision became a reality. But see, what he saw in here was stronger than what he saw out here. 
If he would have looked out here, this never would have been, been a reality. Have you spent enough time looking inside of there? A vision of triumph will create the experience of triumph. And he's saying, don't, don't look at what you can see. Look at what you can't see. Because when we hear God's word on triumph, it paints a picture of triumph. We see triumph. We believe the vision. And our faith has the ability to bring the vision into reality. You think of the vision of Paul. Each step of the way, his vision in him was so strong that when the ship was breaking apart, he knew that he could not die out in the ocean because he had to preach before kings. His vision was so strong that it spared his life. Once again, when he reached down to build the fire and the snake latched onto his hand, he shook it off because the vision in him was stronger than what he saw in the natural. When he was left for dead, beaten and stoned, the vision in him was stronger than what he felt and what he saw out here. In the middle of chaos, disorder, destruction, don't allow what you see to be stronger than what you see. And God is saying, you've got to see triumph to experience triumph. Got to see triumph to experience triumph. What does that look like for you? You know this scripture, and we're getting ready to be done, Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 10. Hear, my son, receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Notice the vision that God has for your life is many. Many. Say many. You know the devil's a liar? Five of you realize that? How about the rest of you? He's a liar. And he wants to create in us the vision of destruction. And the vision of failure. This week, just a few days ago, I had this couple call me from another state. And they said, we're, we're just, my, my husband's so upset. You know, he'd, he'd had some dreams and they were profound and they came to pass. And, and man, we were just so excited. But now he's been having dreams that, uh, that I'm dying, that I, he's going to lose me. And the, the husband's just worried and consumed and thinking this is just the way that it is. And I said, I, I said listen. Those, those dreams that you had that came to pass, those, those were God's, God's gift to you. That is just the goodness of God. But the devil always tries to take what God uses and he tries to pervert it. So the same way that God had the visions and the thoughts that became a reality, Satan's trying to use his same tactic for you to be worried and concerned and believe that it's just going to happen so it will just happen. But we have power and authority in the name of Jesus to reroute those negative visions. The devil is a liar. He wants you to see yourself destroyed. He wants to see yourself as a failure. He wants to see yourself dying young and dying early. He wants to see yourself not fulfilling your assignment. He wants you to see yourself destroyed. That's his job, still kill, destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And so through time in God's word and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we reroute the negative vision with the positive vision. We reroute the sickness with health and healing. We reroute the lack with provision. See, we got to see it to experience it. If you can, you can quote 1 Peter 2.24, by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed. But it's different 
when you allow the Holy Spirit to help you see your sickness going upon the body of Jesus and you see yourself taking health and healing and this is who I am and sickness you are illegally in my body and by the stripes of Jesus I am healed. See there's a difference. Quoting my God will supply all my needs and seeing that God will supply all your needs. And it goes on in Proverbs and it tells us to keep the word before our eyes and keep the word in our ears and, and to guard our heart without all diligence for out of our heart flows the issues of life. What was he saying? Keep the vision in front of you. The vision of triumph. Go ahead and keep playing, whoever that is playing. Yeah, thank you. How are you doing over there? Good. God is saying to us, his family, triumph is ours. Regardless of what the economy does, regardless of what CNN, constant negative news says, regardless, say it regardless, but we got to see triumph before we can experience triumph. Those of you that have been saved for a long time, remember Remember at some point in your time, I know for myself, I'd heard, you know, my whole life how to get saved. But I never really saw my condition I was in, being separated from God. Until I had a, a, a bad wreck, I was in an upside horse uh, trailer and I was in that upside down horse trailer, I saw that I needed Jesus. I saw that if I were to die, I would go straight to hell. I saw it. The Bible says that for all sin and come short of the glory of God, but God doesn't want us to stay short of the glory of God. It says sin went upon all men and death passed upon all men that every one of us were separated from God at some point in time in our life. And he says, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. Can you, can you see that? Can you see coming to the Father through Jesus? First John chapter 5, it says, any person who receives Jesus, they receive eternal life. I want you to see this. When I receive Jesus, I receive eternal life. Now, I not only want you to see this, but I want you to go in here and it says, and you know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Could I talk you out of your salvation? See, not everybody has that knowing. Because at some point in time in their life, they, they haven't seen the condition that they were in. They haven't seen that they needed Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed. 